Welcome to the House Church Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message by guest speaker Adam Clausing. If you would like to know more about the House Church, please visit our website at welcometothehouse.com or download the House app. So this morning we're going to be talking about um, community. The title for today's sermon is Strategic Community. And I want to go ahead and give you the three points up front um, in case... Uh, in case you happen to fall asleep during the service or, you know, you just coincidentally have to leave about halfway through, I want to go ahead and give you the three points up front. Um, Number one is that community is not easy. Community can be difficult at times, and therefore we must make it a priority. Number two, community is the master plan of God, and that God actually created us to be relational beings and to be in community. And number three is community empowers us to do more than what we could do on our own. When brothers and sisters come together in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we're able to do so much more than what we could do by ourselves. And so, specifically, I want to be um, talking on the parable of the wedding feast. And we can find that in Luke 14, 16 through 24, if you guys want to open up your Bibles or uh, flip to it on your phone. Um, I encourage you guys to do so. And while you guys are flipping there, um, I want to say it's not by... Um, Well, actually, it is by sheer coincidence that we're having the open house tonight, um, which what a greater opportunity for a community uh, than get together, enjoy some good food, kick off the summer now that we're back from Memorial Day, and really come together as um, brothers and sisters. Um, I also want to push connect cards because it'd be impossible to talk about community without talking about the value of connecting, Um, that as this church continues to grow, it becomes difficult, and it's we never want to allow someone to slide through the cracks. If there's something that's going on in your life, I encourage you guys to write that down. I mean, even if you've been here, you know, 25 times, and then there's either a praise or something that you guys need prayer for, I encourage you guys to write that down on the Connect cards. So for um, diving into the Word now, um, I, for cross-referencing purposes, actually, um, there's two different accounts of the parable of the wedding feast. Um, the first being um, here in Luke, and on, then also in Matthew 22. Um, they're slightly different accounts. The one in Matthew 22 has a little bit more severe consequences, I guess you could say. Um, and I will touch on that a little bit later. But really, the whole point of having two different accounts actually gives more validity to it. You know, for instance, if you were to ask Courtney our engagement story, you may get two completely different stories, and, and so much, in fact, that you would think, wow, are these people even, are they even married to the same person? <laughs> but actually, it, 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 gives, it gives validation to the fact that I did indeed propose to Courtney, and she did indeed say yes. So let's jump into the, to the Word. Luke's beginning with verse 16, it says, But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and yet there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. 
So first, I want to call out the love of the Father in this parable. I mean, it's incredible that even after he's extended the invitation and has been rejected by these people, that he says, go out to the highways, go out to the hedges, you know, bring in the blind, bring in the crippled, bring in the lame. I I want them at my banquet table. I want them at my table. Because the truth is, is that no matter no matter how many sinners there are in the world, that there will never be enough sinners who are willing to accept his salvation to fill up his banquet table. There will always be room at his banquet table for more. That Jesus Christ's name will be exalted no matter what. And so the main, the main point here is that the issue is not that we are not called, but in fact that we are too preoccupied to recognize the call that is on our lives. And so there's three excuses here that I think speak very pertinently to our own life right now. And I'm going to go through those three excuses here for us. Number one is the first man said, I just bought a field. And I think that speaks to our property, to our possessions, to our, um, what, what we belong. And so I kind of picture this as, you know, the, the man saying, oh man, your, your banquet's Friday night. Oh, sorry, man. I just bought a house. Man, you know, me and my wife, we got to do a little reno project real quick. You know, a little home renovation. Uh, Property Brothers, I think that show is, you know. Um, get, get excited for it. And, and hey, you know what? We'll catch, you, we'll catch you in a couple weeks. And since we just got this new crib, man, it's going to be sweet. We'll have y'all over for the banquet. Does that sound good? The second excuse, it, I believe, focuses on business. And I believe it focuses on our jobs. It says um, that the man had just bought five yoke of oxen that he would have used to plow a field. And I believe this speaks to what we are going through each, you know, through Monday through Friday. And and I kind of picture the man as saying, oh man, your banquet's Friday night. See, I just got promoted at work, you know, and I just need to put in a couple hours of overtime so that I can work my way to, you know, then I'll be relaxed here in a couple weeks. You know, things will die down just a little bit. You know, I you know, hey, we'll have you all over in maybe a couple months, you know, a couple, you know, maybe, maybe a year even, that then we'll have time. But let me ask you guys, how easy is that to do in our relationship with Jesus Christ? How easy is that to do in our relationship that we say, hey, God, I'm really busy right now. Hey, I'll catch you. I'll catch you in a couple months, maybe even a couple years. You know, when I have kids and I settle down, that then, God, I'll come back to you. And then, you know, hey, let's have a, let's have a party, man. The third and final excuse. Surely this one would be a legitimate excuse. I mean, of all excuses, you know, the man has just married a wife. And as a still fairly newlywed, like, I understand the importance of putting the wife first. <laughs> so, so I kind of picture this one as the man's like, oh, man, Friday night. Ah, I'm sorry, man. Friday night is date night. And let me tell you, no one messes with date night. And that is untouchable. That date has been in the calendar for the last two years, and no one touches it. But let me ask you, or let me tell you, actually, that there is no way that, we can, that someone can love their wife so much that they exclude God from their relationship. Or better said, that there is nothing worse that we can do for a relationship than to exclude ourselves from the community of believers in the church, and more importantly, from God. And so, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how to stimulate on one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as the, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, there's a billion things that we have going on in our life, you know, and, and I'm the first to admit that 
man, just even this week, things are pulling, things are pulling in my life, trying to pull me away from my relationship with Christ. And, and, you know, we have all these things going on. And how on earth are we able to balance it? And there's this quote that I've kind of held on to that I think is really, really important. And it says, The experience of authentic community is one of the purposes God intends to be fulfilled by the church. The writings of Scripture lead one to conclude that God intends the church not to be one more bolt on the wheel of activity in our lives, but the very hub at the center of one's life. You know, if we think of our lives as a wheel, at the very center we have our relationship with Jesus Christ. And off of that, we have, you know, our hobbies, our jobs, our friends, our family. And all these things are not bad things. In, in many regards, they are good things. But what the enemy will try to do is he'll try to distort that. He'll try to distort our vision, vision even just for a day. That we would focus on one thing and all of a sudden, something takes the place of God at the very center of that hub. And if you guys know, you know, if you get your tires rotated and you don't get those lug nuts quite all the way tightened on, you're going down the highway, it's not going to be a pretty picture. That's exactly what our relationship with Christ will look like. Our lives will implode if we do not have Christ at the center. And so that's why I say that we have to commit. We have to commit to make it a priority to make community a priority in our lives. And I know that word commit is one of those things that, you know, I say that word and people probably hold on to it like, ooh, ooh, I don't know about that word. Especially for us millennials, we're not known for our great ability to commit to things, um, whether it be relationships, whether it be careers. Um, just, just speaking it how it is, that for us millennials, it can sometimes be difficult. But honestly, it is something that we'll always challenge with, and therefore, we must make it a priority. We must keep pressing in for that community. See, I, I think a great example of the way, that, um, the way that we can very easily have our vision distorted is um, through sports and through our excitement through sports. So do, do I have any uh, ESPN watchers? Okay. Any of those who might occasionally partake in a little sports center? I myself have indulged in uh, a round of sports center or two. Um, my wife actually would probably... Um, Probably, was probably worried about me when we first got married because she's like, Adam, didn't you just see that highlight like 30 minutes ago? I'm like, yes, it was so great then. It's even better now. Or, you know, why would we have, you know, an hour of news when we could have an hour of sports highlights having absolutely no meaning to the world? But let me tell you, for entertainment purposes, really, really, so something that I enjoy. And so um, well, one thing that I specifically do in the fall is watch college game day. And if you guys have ever tried to be or try to go to Fayetteville on a Saturday in the fall when it's a game day, you can pretty much just know that about half the city is blocked off as a parking lot, that we have tailgates going on, that there is excitement in the air, that people are excited about the game. But let me tell you, if you're trying to drive through there, uh, best of luck, it ain't happening. <laughs> Um, and so ESPN conducted this, um, they did this little story when they went around and asked people, um, you know, what was so special? You know, why, why was tailgating so, so monumental to them? So one by one, they kind of go around and ask people. Um, and I remember watching this, and uh, they, they started off with asking people, hey, what, is, what does it mean to you? And one by one, they said, man, these are my... These are my brothers. These are my sisters. You know, these are my friends right here. You know, this is my team. This is my family. This is my church. And that last one really just stuck with me. I'm like, man, did they really just say that? 
did they really just say, this is my church? And because the truth is, is that, you know, tailgating sports, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, and in a lot of ways, it can be a good thing. You know, God even uses analogies in sports in the Bible. But when it replaces what God has purposed community to be, that God actually did create us to be relational beings. God did create us to be in community, but it's for the purpose of encouraging one another in faith. So I'm a little bit of a, little bit of a history nerd. I, I, I confess to y'all. Um, I'm definitely not a history buff, so don't come up and ask me a trivia question after, after the service today. But I do enjoy reading biographies. Um, I think that we can learn a lot from people in the past and what, um, what was their drive and what was their passion in life and what motivated them. And so the last two years I've, I've read, you know, a couple biographies, not, not, you know, those little tiny biographies, but, you know, these big honking biographies that you haul around and people look at you and be like, man, that guy must be smart. Look how big that biography is. And so the, the two biographies I've read were, one was on Steve Jobs and the other one was on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And more than likely, you've probably heard of the man, um, Steve Jobs. Here's a couple pictures of them. And more than likely, actually, you may even have one of uh, Steve Jobs' uh, product here in your pocket, in the, the iPhone. Well, let me tell you, this guy, this guy did it all. I mean, from the PC computer to Pixar, I mean, Toy Story, to the iPod, the iPhone, now the iWatch. I mean, the list goes on and on and on about his entrepreneurial endeavors and the way that he kind of revolutionized technology for the last couple of decades. The other man, there, there's a good chance that you actually have not heard of him. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In the 1920s, he was one of the leading philosophers and theologians of the time, and that everywhere he went around America, people wanted him to come and speak at their church because of the revelation that he had, because of the wisdom that he had in regards to community and building up the body of Christ. See, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was not about a cheap grace. He did not believe that, you know, we just pray a prayer one time and that, that's it. But instead, it's a journey, it's a process, and therefore we must have community in encouraging one another. Well, in the 1930s, in the rise of Hitler in Nazi Germany, he returned back to his home country of Germany. And while he was there, he, he continued to build up a body of believers. He took together the, the community of Christians who stood strong and said that what is going on here is not right. And ultimately, he was martyred for his faith. He was shot in the back of a concentration camp for his faith. Now, when we look at these two lives, one man died a rich man in Palo Alto, California, having revolutionized technology for decades. But will the name of Steve Jobs be remembered in 100 years, 500 years, 1,000 years? The other man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, died in the back of a concentration camp without really no one knowing where he was. But let me tell you, his name will be remembered in the book of life forever because of the, his unwavering faith and his desire to pursue community, the desire to bring together people. We see, because he started a seminary while he was there in Germany. And then those people were then used to rebuild the nation of Germany after the fall of Nazi Germany and Hitler. And see, it's incredible what God is able to do when we come together in community. God is able to do powerful things. And if I can be honest with you guys, is that all right if I'm honest with you guys? Um, 
So I know that Courtney and I may seem like we have it all together. Um, or may, maybe, we, maybe we don't seem that way at all. Um, but uh, uh, so, so when we got married, when we were coming out of college, we had this great community. You know, I had my friends, she had her friends. And so we thought that when we got married, man, it was just going to be this amazing like community that we would have, you know, where we'd be having worship nights, we'd be like just praying for fire to just fill Fayetteville and all of Northwest Arkansas, and it was going to be amazing, but that just was not the case. Our, our friends kind of moved away, um, a lot of our friends got married, and so we were kind of all in different segments, and we found ourselves very alone. And It was the first time, I think, ever really in our true Christian walks that we, we felt alone, and we were like, how did this happen? What, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, after months of praying, we um, came here to the house. We came and got involved with what God was doing here. And it's been the most incredible thing since of just seeing what God has been able to do in our lives and the way that he's brought in people who have that same fire, who have that fire that, want to see, that wants to see God do big things here in this city. That isn't just praying small prayers, but are praying the big outlandish prayers of what God can do here in this city. And that is the most invigorating thing that we could ever be a part of. And I'll be honest, it's not always, you know, Bible studies, worship nights, church. A lot of times it's just hanging out. My, my brother Owen, there, there in the back, um, took me to a Razorback baseball game um, well, one night. And I, I know, Owen, I haven't told you this, and so this is a a public confession to you. But the very next week, Jeff Hazel invited me to a Razorback baseball game, but I was so worried about what you might think that I didn't tell you that, that I went to the baseball game with Jeff. But I was like, when, when has this ever been the case that like, I'm actually fearful of what people might think of me that I, because I have such a great community, and so Owen, will, will you accept my, accept my apology? All right, all right, good deal. So the, the, the whole point of joking about that is that um, revival is a word that we throw around a lot. Um, and I know just even on Wednesday, um, Katie said the very exact same thing, of that revival is, a lot of times loses its flavor because of how frequently it's used and how loosely it can be used. But the truth is, is that revival begins with community. That community ignites revival. That it's impossible to have revival without community. And so a lot of times when people throw around the word revival, people say logistically that just can't happen. That's just not possible. Well, I say ask the Holy Spirit that because look back in history. Look at the 1950s. In, China, in the nation of China, Mao Zedong had almost completely eradicated Christianity from the nation of China. But here we are 60 years later, and there are over 100 million Christians in the nation of China to that. Can I get an amen to that of how great the Holy Spirit is? And so that all begins, that begins with community. And, and that wasn't a, that didn't come without a price. See, because in Matthew 22, like I said, it, it talks about a little bit more severe consequences the, for the servant. That this time, when he goes out and invites people, instead of being welcomed in as you know, a man that is bringing the good news of an invitation to a banquet. Instead, this time, he's humiliated, he's abused, and he's killed. See, Jesus tells this story because delivering his message was never meant to be easy. And in fact, every year, over 90,000 Christians are martyred for their faith. Wow. And so I don't say this as though we are aiming to die, 
as though we are trying to die, but we have to realize that as a community of believers, as a global community, that we actually have the greatest community that we could ever have because we're not serving a God that's going to fade away. No, we are serving a God that is for all of eternity, and there will be remembrance. There will be a prize that will not fade away. And how much greater is it that we can say that we are following a God who sees that, a God who sees our suffering, who sees our persecution? See, it, it becomes very easy to just look at the world and say, oh man, there's, there's nothing going right. But see, God, God is up to something. That's incredible. You know, you can't, say, you can't say these things about the community of believers. You can't say that about in Buddhism. You can't say that about in Hinduism. You can't say that in Islam. And just this last week when we were in the nation of Jordan, you know, and it's, it's no mystery the atrocities that are going around in the Middle East. I mean, just one time we were in the house of a woman who had watched her two-year-old daughter be blown up by a roadside bomb. But there was a hope in her because of what God is doing in her life. That she wanted to hear about the stories of what God is doing. That she wanted to hear about how God has a plan for her. How God still has hope for her and provides a peace that only He can provide. And in that, there's a power. And so when we're able to come together and we go on these house visits, see, the average Muslim, does, it takes them seven years before first being introduced to the gospel, before they are willing to proclaim Jesus as uh, their Lord and Savior and a, be a follower of Christ. And so in this seven-year period, that's a long time. And so we were able to come in as house visits and just do these house visits as part of the church. And it's week after week week after week, week after week of spending time with these families and building them up, you know, delivering just the bare necessities, you know, whether it be groceries, whether it be, you know, stuff around the house that they need that they don't have the money for, that we're able to come as the local church and provide those things for them. And so the, 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 the last story I, I just want to share with you guys I, is, is talking about how, real, or how community spurs us on. And you can ask my wife that um, I do not have a good relationship with heights. Um, we've always had a bit of a rough relationship. It's always been a, not even a love-hate relationship, just a hate relationship. Um, and, and so it, it's always difficult um, whenever we're going on a roller coaster or something like that. I just kind of shut down. It's, it's not good. But a couple summers ago, while I was interning at a church, um, I, I had a couple buddies um, and they were army guys, so they were tough, you know, weren't afraid of anything. Their names were Kyle and Tyler. And they came up to me and they say, hey, Adam, we got this great idea. We've been thinking about it for a long time and for the whole summer. Let's go skydiving. <laughs> I myself, you know, kind of took a step back and thought to myself, Adam, you are petrified of heights. But obviously not going to show any fear because I am a man. I quickly said, oh, absolutely. That would be awesome. Let's do it. Well, well, they, you know, the day came to actually go skydiving. And they picked me up and like looking at me, Adam, you you feeling all right? Look, look a little green. <laughs> like who me? Oh, I, I'm doing great, doing great. Been thinking about skydiving all week, actually since you asked me. But d doing great, so excited. 
So then, you know, we're up in the plane, about ready to go skydiving, and, you know, we, you know I find myself strapped to another man. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a bit awkward, a bit weird, but, but in that there was actually a strange security that I was actually with someone who had been there before, who knew what they were doing. And so, you know, here we are, two feet on the ground, you know, very stable, very secure. But when you're strapped to someone, you don't choose when you jump out of the plane. You go when they go. And so the next thing I know, I'm falling out of the plane, falling through 12,000 feet of air, and it's, it's incredible. Go, go ahead and uh, show the picture. So that is the face of... Uh, of pure fear of being completely out of your element, being completely out of what is comfortable for you, completely out of your comfort zone, completely overcoming my fear of heights. And I just needed a couple people that would push me beyond what I was comfortable with, and then someone who, I, who has been there and done it before. And how true is that with our relationship with Jesus Christ? That a lot of times we need people alongside us that will come and push us beyond what we're comfortable with. And then someone who's been there before, someone who can say, hey, it's going to be all right. You know, you may be going through this hard time right now, this trial in your life, but hey, it's going to be all right. Keep pushing in. Keep pressing in for what God has for you because God is going to do incredible things that God will not let your suffering go to waste, and that he's going to do incredible things through you. And so in closing, I want to invite, I want to invite the band up. Um, and I, I want to share uh, one last verse with you guys. Malachi 3.16. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him, those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. How incredible is it that there is a book of remembrance that God has for us? That God remembers what we go through. And we know this is true because if we remember the story of Esther and her cousin Mordecai. See, Mordecai was um, a servant of the king. And while he was serving the king, he actually thwarted an assassination attempt on the king and saved the king's life. But the king forgot about that, and then so one night, he's laying back in his bed, King Ahasuerus, the king of Persia, king of really all the modern-day world, is reading through this book of remembrance, and he comes across the story of Mordecai, and he realizes that Mordecai saved his life. And so he instructs Haman to go out into the city and go down the streets of Persia proclaiming, this is the man who the king finds delight in. This is the man who pleases the king. And so if a forgetful king, a sinful king, will do that, imagine how much greater the reward will be for the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords and our heavenly father. Imagine how great that will be. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message ministered to you. Feel free to let us know on the Connect tab of the House Church app. We hope you have a great week.